So you've sent them the money, they've gotten it, work begins. Congrats, you've bought stock. <laughs> you think it's over? No, not really. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Open Hardware Manufacturing Podcast, the podcast about making open source hardware. My name is Stephen Hawes. And I'm Lucian Chapar. And today we are talking about buying stock. When it comes time to actually buy the things that you're using to sell, how the heck does all of that stuff work? And this whole thing is predicated on the idea that you've already validated the stuff. It's just about like actually talking with the vendor, buying the stuff. A lot of this is like talking about what do you want to be upfront with your vendor about, like shipping time, duties, shipping terms. A huge part of this is also how much quantity are you buying and how much capital are you tying up in that quantity. And then lastly, we'll touch on like the legal side of buying things, that purchase order agreement and the considerations that go into it from like what criteria does that vendor get communicated in that final contract? What do you need to include in that document to make sure your liabilities are covered? And then we'll lastly touch on like post-receival items, like confirming the goods, communicating any issues, and just getting that vendor ready to hear from you again next time. Exactly. And like you have yet another fantastic analogy in this one about this is all about every product in your bomb is a tin can. And it's like, (laughs) how far do you want to kick the can down the road from the next time you want to purchase it? And like, how much oomph do you have behind that kick? How much money do you have to push that can down the road? Maybe you want to change a part. How much do you really want to have in stock if you're worried that part's going to change? All the stuff that goes into like deciding how much to buy, all the considerations that go into that and actually negotiating those terms and talking with your vendor. Yeah, per part, there's almost as many considerations in deciding how much to buy and from who to buy as deciding what part you want to get. That's true. Like it's just, <laughs> it's a whole other separate thing. <laughs> it takes so much time to do it. But yeah, this was a good one. This is this is getting more and more into the depths of the stuff that you are intimately familiar with and had to bash your head against the wall and figure out how to do. And it's cool to hear your just the amount of experience that you have pulled from a couple of years of doing this. Yeah, exactly. I hope this one gets you thinking like a sourcing engineer because I'm starting to. <laughs> <laughs> I think starting to is not fair to. I'm being a tease. <laughs> but yeah, this is a good one. I hope you guys enjoy and let's get into it. Yeah, let's do it. So before we get into the actual bit about sourcing, everything we're going to talk about in this episode assumes that we've already validated the source. So like we've bought some units from a place, we've done a validation test in some capacity, and we'll go on later about, we'll probably do an episode later about like validating a supplier, a vendor. For sure. But everything here assumes that these are all validated. This is after we've kind of already picked a vendor, picked a product, picked a part, you know? Yeah. And to hedge it a little bit, sometimes you're buying such an assured commodity like a resistor that maybe you haven't bought from there before, but you're, you're pretty good assurance shit. You're going to get the exacto knife you thought you were. Exactly. You, <laughs> you don't have to validate like a 1% 10K0805 resistor. You That's, lose your mind. It's going to do Yeah, it's going to do what it says <laughs> on the tin. There's some, and like screws, with very, very few exceptions, that stuff is just, it's a commodity. It's yeah. not like a custom or weird thing. It's just what it is. So like with some exceptions, you kind of that stuff doesn't require validation. And like you can just skip that step for these things and go right to the sourcing it. But even then, I think sometimes I'll push to get in a sample, even if we kind of don't have to. It's like, (laughs) I don't know. It's hard to spend thousands of dollars on something you haven't validated. Yeah. You know, even if it's something silly and small, it's really hard to just send a check sight unseen, you know. For sure. It's, it's, It's a toughie. And like maybe even the sample was like extra good. 
and they made sure they gave you a good apple. Yeah. Instead of the rotten ones, so you're going right. to get a big order. <laughs> right. All right. So the first thing with actually buying this stuff is you have to talk to the vendor. You have to reestablish communication because ideally you've already done it. If you have some samples, maybe you aren't necessarily if it's something like a screw, but you have to kind of say, hey, I'm looking to buy something. And there's like a lot to that. Yeah. And like for us. We had first pre-bought everything when we did the quantity seven buy of the Lumen PMP, and we followed back up with most of our suppliers five months later, I think it might have been. Give a little bit. What's the quantity seven buy for people that didn't see that Yeah, video? so when Steve and I were first getting ready to do the BYOP Lumen kit, we bought seven machines worth of parts from each of our production suppliers to validate that things were what we expected. And it was our little baby validation of the supply chain and the quality of the components we'd receive. So... We had our suppliers picked out. We knew who we'd be giving money to in production. But there was a long gap in time between that quantity seven buy and being like, hey, we've tested your stuff. We have our packaging ready. We have our website ready. We have our sales and marketing material ready. So we had to reintroduce ourselves. Like the name of our company had even changed. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, our emails were different. Yeah. So like, there, yeah, there was a lot there that we had to we, we had to fix. We had to assure them like, hey, things are a little different here, but it's okay. Same people. Yep. Um, and... Sometimes the sales rep changes, right? Some of the uh, rapport you've built can erode if you don't keep we, it up. I think we even had a company not fold, but like close out or our, our, our rep that? left and like went to another company or started his own and like yeah. stuff happens. Kelvin. <laughs> our boy. <laughs> if there's any semblance of time between purchases, stuff's going to change. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like your family can look a lot different <laughs> each yeah. Thanksgiving. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Like who's this new person? <laughs> that's like that's the, the analogies are are I I can't help it. They're good. But so yeah, reintroduce yourself, reestablish like expectations and what you need and what you're looking for. If it's a new sales rep, give them the spiel again. Yeah, I typically have a like boilerplate. This is Opulo. Here's what we are. This is what we do. Yeah, what's in that spiel? How do you say like if if it let's say it's a new rep, but it's the same company? You're like, hey, I just want to buy this thing I've already bought. Here's who we are. What do you put in that? I, uh, it kind of depends on how personal of a relationship I think we'll need. Like okay. sometimes I can be lazy if it's the person who sells us pneumatic coupler. Yeah. They don't, they don't need to buy into the story, but if it's like a PCB vendor or like a, someone I want to customize a product, like I try to get them stoked on the mission. Yeah. 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 <laughs> exactly. Okay. So you have like a little boilerplate intro you give to them. For sure. Exactly. Yep. Sometimes it's. It's, uh, it's useful to have them have confidence in us because we might not be buying very many items. We right. might be buying a lower quantity than what they're usually talking to people for. But right. I have to assure them like, hey, this will be recurring business. Like the pump and valve vendor is usually selling 3,000 pumps at a time. Yeah. And we buy maybe 500. You just have to make sure they like us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, the juice is worth the squeeze. And if it's not worth the squeeze, you're nice. And they're willing to deal with it anyway. <laughs> you know, like that, that goes a long way in repeat purchases. Because every time you reestablish this communication, you're coming back with the context of what did you tell them last time about the quantities that you're expecting to be needing? And if it's greater or smaller than that amount, that's going to be part of the discussion. Yeah. And I'll even revisit older discussions and be like, okay, what tone did I last leave off with these people? Right. Did I really overcook it? Yep. Did I hype these people up for like a, a 2K piece order and I'm coming in asking for 400 pieces? Like, right. yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So like reassess like what you'd said to them last, what you think they might believe your intentions are and then have at it. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> so expectation setting is big. For sure. I've said it before. Manufacturing is a really it's a lot of relationships. We can't do anything without other people. You have to get these people to like you. Yeah. There's one vendor like we talk about anime <laughs> and call really? each other. You call each other brother. <laughs> That's so cute. Really. Yeah. I didn't know that. <laughs> 
Yeah. That's fantastic. It's it's good stuff. <laughs> I had one guy who sent me a smartwatch. It was entirely useless on the... Uh, he sent us a gift because he liked me. Oh, I remember this. Entirely yeah. useless yeah. on the US telephone network. Oh, but, really? But still sweet. Still very sweet. <laughs> yeah. There, there are partners. Exactly. They're business partners. And, you know, conversely, sometimes it's LCSC and you're talking into a void. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> or you don't talk to anyone and you just buy the thing on a web checkout. Yeah. You know, like sometimes that's what it is. And that, that can be perfect, too. That's yeah. kind of preferable. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, OK, In uh, some ways. I'm trying this one on here and like this is a, a bit of a tangent, but the more that you need to talk to the person the more validation is required for the thing. So like LCSC, no validation is required. But like if we need to validate and like you're, we're talking more about a bespoke thing that we need a custom thing, it's going to be more of a relationship. I'm trying to think about like something very, very custom. Our PCBs, we have like with our PCB vendor, we have many back and forth with them. They're like, hey, we want to make this yeah. slight change for manufacturability. And like it's about the custom thing we designed. I might swat this thought down okay. to con- contrary points. PCB way will take our money for any PCB and we almost never hear design feedback. That's true. And then Amazon will sell us a drag chain that's the listed dimensions of what you need. But when you get it, the whole pattern's different or like it sounds too weird when moving. Well, I said validation. Yeah. I, I Like PCB way, we don't need to validate that board because it's we know the board's going to be perfect. Yeah. You know, and we don't need to communicate with them. But if there's something we need to validate... Then we talk to them. What, what, what was your second example? Like Amazon. You'd think you're just oh. getting a drag chain, but there's a lot more to it than that. Right. Well, yeah, I guess so. Yeah. So Amazon's an exception. But like we shouldn't be sourcing too much, like mostly anything from Amazon if we can help it. <laughs> yeah. I even noticed on uh, LCSC there's a like counterfeit and fraud warning and it's like a weather report and severity. Like it's reported as a percentage. What? Yeah. There was a TI chip we were buying and there was on the product page a 30% likelihood of counterfeit. <laughs> wow <laughs> so of course we went direct to source on that yeah but. yeah <laughs> yes exactly <laughs> so yeah you you don't really necessarily know what you're getting right so always do your due diligence and sure. your job as an engineer is to know that what you're buying is what you need is what you need okay well uh, never mind on my thought i thought maybe i had something profound there i guess that's you might be on to something i i don't know I, I i think it was more of just finding a trend but oh either way i'll wait your median <laughs> article Medium, medium, <laughs> medium. You mean? <laughs> yeah. So talking to the vendor. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Talk to them. Typically, it's again WeChat. Sometimes it's email. Sometimes it's an Alibaba message. Those are my three. I can't really imagine much else. Yep. Disclaimer: If you wait too long to get back to them, they'll call you at weird hours. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes that's not productive. <laughs> Why? There can be language barriers. There can be like a factory noise in the background. You might not be it's in front 2 of... <laughs> I need to be in front of a computer to really say much of anything useful to these people. And sure. like, if I wait for them to call me, they're frustrated. Right. <laughs> right, right, right. No, they're already frustrated and you don't have the information in front of you in order to have like a meaningful conversation with them. Yeah, I'll just yeah. say refer to my last message. Right. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You have to establish communications, reintroduce yourself, and then it really it cuts into the negotiations. Yep. So we can get into that. Sweet. Should we have like a sample part we're talking about here? Sure. Yeah, let's let's pick some specific thing or maybe a couple because there's a couple different things that are important. Like aluminum extrusion, I think, is a good one because it's kind of commoditized, but not really because we care about the surface finish and we want it to look really nice and be a good profile. And there's also like shipping considerations for that. And then maybe something. What would be another good one? Three that come to mind here, like extrusion, custom cable harness and a stepper motor. Because with extrusion, you think you're getting a commodity and there's a set expectation. but 
truly it actually needs to be communicated. Yeah. What finish do you want? Do you want it anodized after cut? Do you want it anodized before cut? Before cut. How do you want it cleaned? How do you want it protected in transit? All that stuff we'll get yeah. into. Sure. First and foremost, you need to tell them the like range of quantities that you're looking to see pricing data for. Right. We're not buying five million of a thing. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and like it would be useless for their sales team to get us a quote for, well, first, so th- there's something important here, which is uh, talking about minimum order quantities. Sure. Like there are some vendors that won't sell you anything at a volume under 500 units, a thousand units, and they won't even talk to you unless you're going to buy that many. This is all about like kind of like picking how much to buy. There's a lower bound to this. Like you can't buy under a thousand of a certain thing. So you already know you're going to be doing that. But are you buying 1,000? Are you buying 5,000, 10,000, 20,000? And asking for price breaks there at a reasonable scale. If you ask for them like on a huge range, it's like, okay, you're a joker. You don't know what you need. Yeah. And, you know, towards that, at the top highest level, you need to decide what balance do you want this conversation to have with the vendor. So... For me, I'll take our bill of materials and the quantity per item and I'll multiply it by 100, 200, 300, 500 and see how many of extrusion do I need? How many meters of GT2 belt do I need for different production quantities of our machine? Sure. And then I understand like, okay, buying this amount would cover us for this many months. Buying this amount would cover us for this many months. Right. So that's kind of how you choose what price breaks to ask the vendor about? For sure. Okay. Okay. And like at the minimum for us, the purchase quantity is going to be like... You need to have enough stock in hand to last for the lead time of new stock plus like a buffer period. For us, it's usually like we need to have six weeks of stock on hand for any item. Yeah. You can get just about anything in our supply chain within six weeks. So for us, we want to have that. But if you're just starting out, you might skirt a little bit lower than that. Yep. And that's all part of the considerations we can explain on. But bringing it back, you have your MOQs and that's the vendor's side of it. But then you have to decide how many more or less you might want than that. You can try pushing on an MOQ mm-hmm. and they're usually negotiable. Yeah. Um, they want money at the yep. end of the day. Yep. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Especially if it's a, like off the shelf unit. Yeah. I think MOQs become more firm when it's like customization required. Exactly. If you like want to get your custom logo put on a thing or like custom packaging or like a weird cable harness or something like that, then it starts to become like, do we have, we, for when we buy our cable harnesses, I'd imagine that has an MOQ. Uh, we've been pretty lucky. Really? Do they're, they not have a, or is it like 500 units or something really small? I think uh, they either like us or 50 pieces is enough for them. 50? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I'm very surprised. By yeah, it's that great. feels very low. Yeah. And this is the vendor is in like the first or second page result when you search custom cable harness on Alibaba. Yeah. So they're probably used to it. Yeah. They probably get a lot of people poking them for like little quantities of stuff. For sure. And they, yeah. you know, they charge accordingly. It's worth their time to do it. They, they want the money. Sure. <laughs> this is a vendor that makes cable harnesses for MRIs. So they might be making like one harness for you. <laughs> oh, that's fair. So that's kind of the niche they're in. Yeah. So, so based on the vendor, you might also ask for a different range of quantities. Like, will you ever ask for a, a price break quantity that they don't explicitly say that they support? Like, hey, could you give me one for 50, even though your MOQ is 100? Yeah. And just see what they do with that. All, all processes and things that they list on their profile or like the product listing is it's arbitrary. Right. Like they're not required to follow their guidelines. There, there's a person <laughs> that can go and eh, we'll make an exception. in almost all of these instances. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And like, let's say they list price breaks for 99 to 200, 200 to 500. And I'm, no, I'm still going to ask for the price breaks that the quantity is my like price analytics templates need. Right. Because, yeah. Yeah. I need to see 250, 500, 750, 1K. Sure. <laughs> right, right, right. But effectively, if you get enough, get three different price breaks, I'd say, and then you can extrapolate what you're going to be looking at at any given quantity. 
I also see you graph them out. M- maybe we talk about this a little more when we talk about how much to buy. Yeah. But that the, extrapolating them out is also cool. I see you graph them a lot. For sure. Because there's diminishing returns past a certain quantity. Yeah. So the other way to hedge it here is like, when do I want to think about this vendor again? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Like, how much am I trying to, to buy for? Yeah. Yep. We said we talked about the extrusion, stepper motor, custom cable. Yeah. Across the three. The, the lumen's going to use 600 millimeter extrusion till the day it's no longer sold. Yeah. <laughs> it, will, it will kind of always be that. Like, we've made that bed. Yeah. So we'll buy a lot. Not a shipping containers amount, but a decent amount. Right. The stepper motor, again, NEMA 17. But, like, you never know if you want to go higher torque or switch to NEMA 23. So, like... We don't want to fill a room with it. Sure. And then custom cable, like Steven's capable of changing the PCB at a, on a whim, yeah. if it makes sense. So right. I might not want to have more than 100 machines. Worth of cables. Yeah. Pretty more hand to mouth on that kind of thing. Yeah. So yeah. think about the, and this is really blurring into how much to buy, but yeah. think about the liability of stock you might need to scrap if you want to upgrade your product. Yeah. Let's just go through the rest of expectation setting and negotiating. Okay, so you've asked the vendor for a list of quantities to provide pricing for, for whatever item you're buying. Mm-hmm. You also need to express a couple other things. There's lead time or LT you might see in uh, communication. So do you need this product in four weeks? Do you need it in six? Do you need it tomorrow? Mm-hmm. It has to be discussed. They obviously have a handling time. They have internal processes, time to get from the production line to the warehouse to pack out and ship. You need to tell them that all of this needs to be communicated. Yeah. Um, you don't want to just go with the flow. Is this mostly something that they will dictate and tell you what the situation is? Or is there some wiggle room? Do you request what you want and they will work around that and charge accordingly? How, which direction does that decision flow? I might see what they're, where they're at before saying what I need. Okay. Because they might list a lead time that's fine. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but if it's not fine, then I might put some pressure my thumb on the scale. Yep. Like a 12 day working time for your custom PCB could be fine, but maybe we scrapped half of our lines worth of PCBs and I actually need to exert some pressure and ask for expedite. Right. And like I said before, money can kind of do anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> if you pay a little more, you can get things to happen faster. Yeah. If like, you really need it. Yeah. I learned it was like a $50 expedite fee to get PCBs out of a factory like twice as fast. Wow. It was really? like, yeah. That's the easiest fifty dollars spend ever. <laughs> yeah, if we were if we were need boards, mm-hmm. yeah, there's ching send send that fifty bucks. Send send send. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, lead time. Uh, see where they're at, then express your needs if needed. Mm-hmm. And it's also a good point where deliver date versus ship date. Yep, is kind of how vendors will play with this a little bit. So okay. make sure you're clear about the date you need the parts hereby. Mm-hmm. Because the vendor might use slower shipping means than you'd anticipated. Right. So we talk about the delivery date. Yeah. And then they can think about the lead time and shipping. And it puts that in their heads. They're not just throwing it to a shipping carrier. Sure. And they're like, I'm done once it hits this, but it's going to take three weeks on a boat to get to you. And like, <laughs> that's your problem. That's yeah. not. Yeah. Being communicative about when you expect to see it at your door is probably a better way. For sure. For sure. I also say here, we need to go over the quality requirements and the packaging requirements. So once they see that you're serious, you have a lot of leverage. Mm-hmm. You can express like the things you need them to do. Hey, I need to you to make sure each of these motors rotates counterclockwise when powered on these pins. Right. We need to make sure that each of these stepper motors has our logo engraved or all these cables have connectors crimped, no loose wires, no strands of copper exposed. Right. Yeah. You have all the power in the conversation when you're a moment from sending the money. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. And that that's a and so like if we're rebuying something we've already bought, this is probably this should be more of like a reminder, right? Like if, if this is the first time that you're buying it, you're establishing this stuff. But this is more like like if you rebuy cables, yeah. will you reestablish with them like, hey, as a reminder, 
here are the quality requirements that we talked about before. I'm expecting that same thing on a purchase. Or do you just say, hey, more of that, please? Totally depends, right? It depends on the product. It depends on how it was last time. Right. So like, you know, I'm going to bully the cable vendor. The last time we got those cables, one of the six boxes cables were like loose and hanging out of it. <laughs> right. I remember this. Yeah. <laughs> like I use a rebuy as an opportunity to be like, I need this done better. Right. Hey, this egg carton packaging for these pumps and valves was unacceptable. Right. It was all shattered and the pumps and valves were loose. Yeah. Do better. Yeah. <laughs> I need to see this better for, for another purchase. Because that's the time to bring it up because there's another imminent purchase. And like, that's a great time to be like, hey, if we're going to do this again, I need to see I need to see this not be broken. <laughs> exactly. Use, use that leverage. Get what you want because no one's forcing you to get the money. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. And there's always going to be another vendor. Like finding one that cares about quality as much as you do and is, is a good price. There's, there's a million of them out there. You can always find someone else that will help facilitate that thing. Yeah. And as we've spoken about previously, like have a second source. Yeah. You have way more leverage if you don't need them. Right. <laughs> yep. Yep. That's true. And then they'll usually send you an invoice. Yeah. So you've, you've set expectations. You've negotiated. You said what you need. You'll get back an invoice. And then that begins like a circular loop of discussion, like make sure the invoice covers all of your needs, make sure it goes and touches on everything you talked about. Does it have the lead time you requested? Does it have the listed quantities you were looking to see prices on? Okay, so an invoice will contain the price breaks, but it doesn't contain the amount that you actually want to buy. And what I've seen here so far will typically have multiple line items for, let's say we're buying the staging plate. The vendor will include multiple line item listings for the staging plate. It will show unit pricing at each of the different requested quantities. Weird. So the invoice isn't actually like, this is how much you need to pay me right now. It's like, here are your three options yeah. <laughs> for these three price breaks. You, you see that often. Yeah, it's kind of abused. Sometimes an invoice is, it looks more like backwards. It looks right. like, sometimes an invoice looks like the receipt, but it's more of a bill. And you can pick which line items of that bill you want. Oh, weird. I always thought the invoice was like, this is exactly what we're doing pay me this exact amount. But that it's really like, then we issue the PO and that's really what does that. Right, exactly. Okay, okay, interesting. So the invoice is, is really the thing that tees you up to now make the decision about how much to buy. Yes. Okay, and th that I think is probably one of the larger points here about buying stock is like one of the hardest considerations is how much do we actually purchase? For sure. I th that's arguably the hardest part of this. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I would. I can get more time. I can make more time. But capital is finite. Yeah. And for a hardware company, you need to spend a lot of money to get the thing to even think about making money. Yeah. <laughs> like you have to buy X amount. When we bought, we were validating the Lumen parts for like the V2, the BYOP release. We bought seven. And I think we bought seven because we needed exactly seven like we had we had like a lifetime test a production like goal for each of those seven machines so explicitly chosen it's so cute it was so cute and then <laughs> and then after that we did a, a quantity hundred buy because there was price breaks at that point and like we only had so much money and we could i think i think that hundred quantity buy drank like 70 percent of our money by the time we were actually selling the machine on launch day we were like almost out of money <laughs> we, just from buying a hundred and like anything less than a hundred, the MOQ, the minimum order quantity, like we either couldn't buy it or the price break was so bad for like a 50 buy. Like the only reason we were able to get those seven was samples. Yeah. We were like, Hey, we just want to buy samples to validate. And like vendors are usually pretty amicable to that and you pay through the nose for them. But you know, in comparison to, you know, the price break. Yeah. yeah. For reference, I think the quantity seven by 
if you turned it into like the per machine cost, it could have bought us 15 machines at the 100 piece quantity. <laughs> That's egregious. Yeah. But like they're, they're boxing up a box for us with only like seven things in it like that's so silly <laughs> for most of those vendors and to that vendor like it's just as easy to ship two motors as 200 right they don't want to do that exactly yeah <laughs> yep so you saw the invoice and you're now deciding how much to buy and how to buy it let's take the staging plate i was sent an invoice for it an hour ago oh okay yeah these are imaginary prices but one price was for 250 piece and one price was for 500 piece okay the price at 250 piece was like twelve dollars and then the the shipping was eight hundred okay the 500 piece was like 1140 and the shipping was 1500 <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah so i just amortized the cost of the freight the cost of testing if there is one you see that in pcbs a lot yep and i divide it back to get the per unit cost to have something here landed right and like it, the difference was like 1550 versus 1440 so it's like not a huge difference. Do we want to save a dollar and change per piece, but spend twice as much? Right. Yeah. Like literally double the amount of capital that's out. And like, it, but it depends. Yeah. Like, and also how quickly are we going to drink 250 of those things? Like <laughs> if in three weeks you're like, I need to do it, then we're probably making enough money selling those 250 to afford spending the capital on buying 500 of them. But like, if you get that kind of quote back, you know that. There isn't a huge pressure to buy the 500 unit piece because there isn't a crazy price break for buying that much more. We've kind of maxed out. We've hit the, the point of diminishing returns on a price break with 250 units. Yeah. So I bet you can guess which one I bought. Did you buy 250? Yeah. It's just not worth spending as much as the 500 piece. Right. And if you have more capital than God and like you don't care about cash flow, then buy a thousand. If it's something that you know that you're going to have a lot of, you know, but like in general, that $1 per unit isn't going to move the needle as much as like having all that capital freed up to do something else. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And even just the peace of mind of having an extra couple grand in the bank. Right. You need it. Yep. Now, uh, the left field hook here is um, both of those prices were for air freight. Right. We use staging plates at a certain quantity per month. We don't need more than a certain quantity delivered within a period of time. Right. So it's kind of negligent to get 500 pieces air shipped to us at once. Right. Like maybe maybe we were paying 15, 20 or whatever you said per unit at 500. But if we were to see ship them, they'd be like $10. Precisely. Yeah. So <laughs> what I might do when I see that price at 500, so I'll look at the air freight shipping cost component of that price and yeah. then see, OK, well, I actually only need 100 of these 500 for the month of November. The rest can take eight weeks to get here for all I care. Right. So then we can go, OK, well, if we had them ship a hundred pieces air that would be i don't know three hundred dollars to get that here and the rest can go the other 400 piece will go by sea for 300 400 500 dollars right it's like okay well then now the staging plate's 10 bucks a piece yeah i'm not a calculator by the way these prices are yeah yeah just made up. yeah and what that does is it saves you more money per unit but you're still tying up more capital because you're still buying that 500 quantity piece but it's just a fair amount less expensive than it would be air but you, but by, by doing that, like there's something we say to each other a lot of like, if we're him and Han about buying a quantity and we decide to go to the bigger one, we, we go, we're going to sell them. <laughs> like we know we're eventually going to sell them yeah. and we're not, we're not like worried about capital. Like we, we have enough cash to keep going without question. So it's like, maybe this just makes it so you don't have to repurchase for a long time. And it's okay if we tie up a little capital for the insurance policy of knowing we have it. And saving a little bit of money per unit by putting it on uh, water shipping it. So it's all about that trade-off of like, do you want to tie up a lot of money? And in the early days, 
we would lose we wouldn't ever lose money on a sale but we would we would not make as much money per machine sale and airship everything because we just cared about the flexibility and the design was rapidly changing we would like constantly be putting in air shipments just getting in stuff like quick lead time you were constantly doing repurchasing because we wanted to stay flexible and we didn't have nearly as much cash in the bank and we wanted to be you're not going to be nearly as efficient, but that's okay when you're starting. And later on, you can start thinking about, okay, we'll put some on the water. Yeah, being literal about it, like we couldn't, it was not worth having more than like a hundred pieces of aluminum motherboard at a time because they could change. Yeah. We're getting all this great feedback from the community. We wanted to be able to apply it. Right. If you have something really stable and you have a ton of money to put into it, save money per unit. If you know you're going to sell a really stable thing and you have the capital for it, Invest some of that cap, maybe not all of it, it's still not great to type <laughs> a lot of capital into inventory, but invest it and then you know for sure you're going to save money per unit. But it's, that's the risk, right? That's the calculation is like how risky versus how much do we want to save money? It's hard. Yeah. And I got two more points on that. Like we always have some assurance like, oh, if I bought too much extrusion and we want to change stuff, I could sell it on Amazon for it. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, that's, that's, that's true. That's a whole other angle is, you know, just because you bought it doesn't mean like it necessarily has to go into a machine. Like the secondary resale market is a thing for recouping. You probably may not make money on it, but like at least we're recouping most of that expenditure. Yeah. Don't think of it. Don't think of inventory purchasing as spending money that went down the drain. It's just transferring it into a different asset. Right. And you could think of that. You can play that game a little bit more easily if it's a basic commodity. Like Opula could sell excess NEMA 17s on Amazon all day. Right. Custom cable harnesses for a Lumen PMP. <laughs> Not, so Not so much. <laughs> Not so much. <laughs> yeah. So th those, those things that are more generic are a little easier to buy larger quantities of because we know it's, <laughs> it's we could just resell if we really had to for some reason. Yeah. You know, if we bought way too much, we actually have a box <laughs> in the back room <laughs> that's like, stuff to resell a lot of it's probably rev3 motherboard components like electronic components that we just like don't need anymore i think we've actually been pretty good about that yeah for everyone listening at home if you want to feel less bad about your own box ours is only ours is worth about like three grand is it really yeah only worth it's not that bad um there is probably three grand in cardboard for byop sitting on a shelf <laughs> Yeah, that was a that was an early too high purchase. <laughs> yeah. We bought so many of those boxes. We saw I think we saw a really spicy price break for those boxes and we're like, "Oh, we want the good price break." And we bought way more than we will ever use. And it came with a notice that the price was going up by 12% for corrugated cardboard. Right. So we got in early <laughs> and now we have more boxes than we know what to do with. Yeah, rip. <laughs> Now, another thing to touch on here when deciding how much to buy is what's the riskiness of your supply chain? Do you think that vendor is going to go out of business? Are you married to them? Does that vendor suck to talk to? And an important one was early in our time here, it was silicon shortage. Right. So we would buy as many as LCSC had for like a high-end IC like the STM32. Right. Yep. Um, it was a matter of getting as many as we could get our hands on. And we were spooked about like the political climate in Asia. So yep. like we'd buy a year of ICs because we didn't want anything over there affecting our ability to ship product. That's a good point. If there's something that's like, I know I cannot get this anywhere else, like it's single sourced, it's hard to get, that is worth tying up a lot of capital in because it's an insurance policy. It's almost like literally an insurance policy. You're making sure that if you have that product in-house, you can guarantee that you will be able to ship product and make money. But if you don't have that thing and there's no other way to get it, you're done. Yeah. You can't ship your product or you have to like redesign and like completely absorb your, your plan. And like it's, it's kind of non-negotiable. Yeah. It's some things you just have to have enough of. We try to make it uh, impossible for a vendor to turn off our fulfillment. <laughs> <laughs> if, if, if one company can make a decision that 
no thanks we don't want to do business with you anymore we're not doing our job we need to make sure that someone can just dip out from being a vendor on for us and we still can continue to facilitate the machine like that's kind of dual sourcing or having enough stuff in stock that we'll have time to find a second source by the time we run out of them exactly vacuum sensors and cameras come to mind there yeah like if we had to figure out a new vacuum sensor it's going to take a long time so we're going to we're going to keep eight months of that on hand at like a minimum right yep (laughs) yeah because that's the amount of time it would take to yeah that's that's true and we're also lucky that some of those things are not terribly expensive to get a lot of but sometimes that's worth spending a lot of money on to have that like it's it's a it's an insurance policy though it's a peace of mind thing if you want to be super risky you could and you're willing to just like do crazy stuff to adapt you could always do that but it's that's that's not really how we play it (laughs) yeah any change to the product if it's user facing has to be it it can affect docs it can affect the user experience it's just it's kind of nice to keep those critical things stable right yep keep that standard uh something we know we can rely on really we touched on a lot of the purchase decision making there so there is moq there's like tying up capital we could speak a little bit more towards the stability of the bomb item i think we honestly did talking about like pcbs custom cable harnesses versus the stepper motor yeah like there's there's some things that like i think we just had one of these conversations last week where you're like hey is this gonna change soon and i was like i don't know it might and you're like i forget what it was but and you were like uh, okay, I'll only buy some of it then. Yeah. And that was that was really good to know, especially if it's something that you don't have really high MOQ on, you can get away with it. And I don't, have we ever released, have we ever timed a release based on stockout? I don't think we really do that too much. It's more like based on when we know we can release, we plan purchasing. We, that's kind of the direction the decision's made. We've been pretty good. Most of our changes are cognizant of inventory, but yep. um, I think inventory follows what we want to do yeah and if there's something where it's like oh surprise extrusion actually needs to be 700 millimeters long and we have like <laughs> tens of thousands of dollars tied up in inventory and extr- aluminum extrusion it's just bad product planning th- well i mean it's a little bit bad product planning but also maybe we do a dual variant for a while so we can you know use that <laughs> up or like like th- that's still part of the consideration yeah. you know you still have to think about what you have on it and that's why it's nice to be lean you know it's nice to only have X amount in stock at a time so you can make that change. But if it's stable, it's like, yeah, what? we buy a lot of 600 millimeter extrusion. We know <laughs> that's going to be the same thing for like the Lumen's lifetime, you know, or if it changes, we're going to have so much notice. We'll have so much time <laughs> to be able to change that and buy a 700 millimeter or whatever it is, you know. A cheeky thing you can do, let's say you use Amazon McMaster car, mm-hmm. you can just return it. <laughs> that's true mastercard lets us return anything we didn't need yeah no return window no no communication just mail it to them yep amazon with a little bit more hassle you can do the same thing yeah. if we had to get like a thing from them in a pinch you yep. can just return it and it can be okay in a pinch but yeah. like they'll change stuff the quality is not known there's no person you can really complain to like and the price is usually like crazy good in comparison to like alibaba stuff like Amazon is spooky close to pricing for like direct to manufacturer sourcing. Is that fair to say? It is. And I think it's truthfully because it's a lot of the same vendors. Yeah. I think they're just reselling on Amazon as another way to like hit a different market. An AliExpress vendor might have a warehouse in California that the same junk ships out of. Right. Yeah. So it's just like Timu for the U.S. market. Right. Yeah. But it's but but it's so inconsistent. Like <laughs> the thing that you really get by doing proper sourcing and like going to a proper vendor is the consistency and someone you can call and be like, hey, this is not what I need. What are we going to do about this? Yeah. And Amazon's not that you might get a random, totally different thing in the mail. I think it's OK for like 
some emergency stock or like something while you're getting your feet under yourself for like a proper vendor. If that's kind of like your your hot fix, fine. But uh, it's not a good long term solution. I, also, I don't want to bash on it as much as that. Really? It should you shouldn't be buying a motor from there. But like Scotch 3M double sided tape. Okay, fair. <laughs> yeah, like there's some things like that. And like, okay, that that's a good point. I've priced it out side by side. We can get flush gutters from Amazon for the same price as AliExpress, and it's here in two days instead. That's Sometimes true. it's like illogical. Mm-hmm. You don't know how it can make sense, but. But but what really you get, low risk things I don't question it. That's that's a good point. That it depends on the thing. Like if it's yeah. mission critical stuff, no. <laughs> but but if it's something like that where like if we had to suddenly resource, we could do it no problem. Like let's say you did decide to get flush cutters on Amazon and that's where we got them and then that seller just stopped showing up or like the quality started to get really bad and we had 100 of them that sucked. We could return them to Amazon, find a vendor on Alibaba, get samples in and get them going like within a week for sure so like it depends on your risk management and like what's the thing you're buying like where do you care to spend your time right we touched on this point a little bit earlier about like if you need 100 units now but you still want to save money you put 100 in the air and 500 on the water in terms of shipping like you airship 100 and then 500 do that you can also kind of do that for your vendors this is something that you discovered early on that has stuck in my brain and i love this strategy where like you buy bolts from McMaster car for your first order quantity because it comes next day and it's, you don't even, you can think about it. So last minute and get a thousand of a kind of bolt in and you're going to pay a premium on it, but that's okay (laughs) because you're shipping the hardware. And then after you've hit that steady state and you like have a second to breathe and you have inventory in hand and yeah, it was expensive, but at least you have it in there and you're able to ship. Then you start finding a vendor for your bolts, you know? Yeah, exactly. You realize which bolts stuck around, which bolts you needed, which finish did you care about the most? Did you hate the silver? You want the black oxide, stainless steel, what yeah. have you. Yeah. You learn what to care about. Exactly. Like when you're first starting out buying that stuff, worrying about saving every single dollar per unit in terms of bomb cost is not the best use of your time. The best use of your time is shipping something and getting right. feedback on it. You can always cost down later. You might make a little less money per unit, but like engagement and making some money is way more important. And you can always make things cheaper down the road. And you're constantly doing this. You're finding like, oh, we, we bought this from McMaster Car for the past eight months. Let me find a vendor for it. <laughs> and then we get a good vendor and they're you know, consistent and same quality, but better price. Yeah, there will always be a low hanging fruit. There will always be, there will always be a couple pennies you can save somewhere. You're not going to get it perfect out the gate. So yeah. I just I don't really try. Yeah. It needs to be reasonable. Mm. Can't be offensive. We can't be wasting money. But we have like, to make money on the. We thing. have to get something out. It's just really impor- imperative, and you don't want to go slow, like you said. Imagine if the quantity seven by was C shipped, <laughs> and the quantity hundred by the first one for BYOP was C shipped. We'd still be waiting for. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and people were chomping at the bit for a kit. We did everything we possibly could to just try and get stuff out, and we got we we paid air shipping for everything. We just like got it in so we could start shipping and start making money and then we started worrying about getting that profit margin to be higher so it's like sustainable and we could start thinking about hiring someone or paying ourselves or that kind of stuff if we presume that an amount of lumens will sell per month Mm -hmm. for the foreseeable future it's imperative to get that out sooner than later yeah you'd rather turn on your revenue stream as fast as you can exactly yep i don't want to wait three extra months to start making money to see ship one like i'd rather have been getting that recurring revenue stream yeah, exactly. And <laughs> even if you make a little less total profit, you have an extra month of being on the market. And like starting earlier and getting that stuff out is always better. And if you don't think you're gonna, going to be recurring 
selling those products, A, you should probably have some market research or like <laughs> some hope, at least some reasonable expectation that you do, or B, believe it more even if you don't think it's true because you kind of have to believe it when you're starting something like this. You have to operate under the assumption that part of it is going to work because if you don't, you're pulling too many punches. Yeah. The, the CEO at Farm Labs uh, had a really good quote. He was, you could decide when people buy your product, but you can't decide when they stop buying it. <laughs> I don't ever remember him saying that. That's interesting. Yeah. I think his point was, get it out there because yep. you don't know when the window of it being relevant to the market is going to close. We'll close. Yeah. Yeah. If you have to make a little less profit because you're paying, as, as Lucian says, the idiot tax, which is a phrase we use a lot of like, I'm paying money because I was a dummy. And yeah. I, I like if I didn't plan ahead and I have to pay like an expedite fee, that's an idiot tax. <laughs> I love that. But like if we have to pay an idiot tax on getting it in early and this isn't uh, we're not idiots by doing this. I think this is actually very smart to do it this way. But like we're paying a fee to get it quicker, to get out to market earlier. That's an excellent way to play it early. And you can always cost down later, but you can only get things out as soon as possible. You know, don't waste money, but make your money work for you. Exactly. Yep. Yep. And it's it, getting out early is a good thing. It's good to get out there as soon as you can. Start testing stuff. Failing quickly if you realize no one gives a shit about this. <laughs> if you start realizing no one gives a crap about this thing, then getting doing that immediately before you waste a ton of time waiting for sea shipping and stuff, get something out there. doesn't matter if you don't make quite as much money on it. Yeah. yeah. That, 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 that's a huge point. Maybe even buy 50 machines instead of 100 if you're unsure of product market fit. Right. We had, and honestly, we we could have bought like, we sold out of that first hundred in like an hour. Yeah, we should have gotten more. We should have we should have bought more, <laughs> but we weren't sure if we would sell like four machines or like four hundred. We had or, or four thousand. Like we literally had no idea what it was going to be. So we got the cheap, and we also couldn't have afforded buying. Yeah, we had to do this. We couldn't have afforded to buy even a two hundred piece unit because sixty percent of our money was tied up in that first quantity hundred buy. Yeah, and. Probably a lot of people listening are ready to interject and be like, wait, what about? I think I know what they're going to say. Okay. We could have launched with a lead time good enough to buy everything on launch day, but we didn't want to. We wanted to have machines in stock that day. That's a good point. Like if you have enough capital to get a sample build and you get them in and you do as Lucian and I did the quantity seven buy. Yeah. If we can get that, those in, validate the parts and know that you can just say to the vendor, hey, we got more money. It's time to go. You can just do that pre-order and buy that stuff then with a lead time. But we wanted to have them available shipping same week. And that was really nice. You can negotiate for net 30 payment terms. What is that for someone who doesn't know? With net 30 payment terms, you can pay for the goods within 30 days of receival. Right. It's going to be very hard to do if you're just launching your hardware product. Yeah. Like no, no, right, no vendor in their right mind is going to give it to you. But yeah. it's the recurring buy or it's like your new launch of a product, probably more... Uh, feasible thing to request that kind of lets you pay for the stuff with the money you made for selling it yeah it's like putting the cart before the horse in kind of a cool way it's like a pre-order for the supplier yeah <laughs> <laughs> and it helps with cash flow a lot if you're especially if you're going like batch purchasing or something like that it helps quite a bit so yeah that, that's a huge point how much to buy is like one of the hardest questions to answer and we're constantly like eh, i don't know like What's going to change? What's, it, it's hard to say. We always wish we had some algorithm that just told us. <laughs> <laughs> it would be nice. But the algorithm is us going, eh. like that Larry David gif where he's like, eh, eh, he's not, he's unsure. That's what it feels like every time. Like it's, it's all just depends on the risk trade-off that we choose to do for that part. Yeah. One more point on it is our forecasted consumption is a huge part of deciding what to buy. Oh, that's a really good point. And so that's something that you have in Aligny, right? Which yeah. is our inventory management. Exactly. 
but it's a it's a value you can do on a scratch pad if you didn't have an inventory management tool but it's a forecasting consumption just looking at a component that you use frequently and figuring out based on projected like sales amounts or production batches like how much would you use in six weeks three months six months 12 months and that's kind of where i'm at most of the time here purchasing now it's like i don't care to buy anything in less than a three month amount unless it's like a very bespoke thing um and i'll look at like the cost out of six months of it and then i look at the cost of not needing to think about this for a year. <laughs> that's like the best to me. Right. Yeah. <laughs> if it's something so stable or like cheap per unit or easily resellable and and yeah. it's also not a lot of capital tied up in it, we could just buy a year's worth. Yeah. I almost think of every component <laughs> of supply chain as a can and I decide how much I want to kick it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's kind of true. How yeah. far do you want to kick the can down the road? Because you're just going to have to rebuy them again later. Yeah. That's fine. I shouldn't negotiate buying staging plates every 10 days. <laughs> Yeah, that's such a waste of your time. That's such a waste. Yeah. That's funny. I like that. Everything is a can. <laughs> I really like that. That's good. Yeah. And like sometimes I sometimes I didn't buy enough and the, the guys have to figure out what to do and work around it. And that's okay. Yeah. You don't want to be irresponsible enough to like hamper production. But right. it's nice to be just in time with it. Yep. Be, playing it a little close is not the worst because it means it means we can just change something so quickly it, it's so nice if we need to make a change on the line the next week we are building a brand new thing and it, we're gonna maybe not make quite as much profit on it but we can do it and we don't have a, so much inventory sitting around that we're like afraid of doing it you know like being afraid of making changes stinks with an open hardware thing that's easily configurable and people are giving us good feedback we want to be able to change it. And having a lot of inventory in-house means we're inherently resistant to making changes, which stinks. Yeah. Like, I just got back from the East Coast Rep Rap Festival, and I saw a room full of printers that had really advanced motors installed mm. on, like, closed-loop servos yeah. and all these, like, brushless configurations of machines yeah. running, like, Duet firmware. It was super cool. Yeah. I don't want to be married to a warehouse of NEMA 17s. <laughs> exactly. Not to say we're making that change, but it's the idea of it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, If we decided, hey, this is important for what we're making... We should feel like we can just do it and not be like, oh, but we have so many motors in stock. What are we going to do yeah. about them? Like once the product's stable, having a little bit more inertia to the design is OK. And it's expected because that's how you get the better price breaks. That's how you save more money, make more profit per machine and make things more sustainable. But for when you're still like letting the thing settle and coagulate, I'm going to keep using that <laughs> word. I love that word. It's good to keep it trim. For sure. So that's a lot on how to buy stuff, how to think about buying stuff. Yep. And what we found to work for us, uh, we always give it the funny asterisk of it depends. It's so it, depends. Here's our considerations. It's a game of juggling. Yep. You just got to keep the balls in the air. You got to keep things arriving. Got to keep things shipping out of your warehouse, your factory. And yep. pay the right price for things that make sense for you. Yep. This is what has come from, I mean, you were on the manufacturing team at Formlabs. And yeah. I think so much of what we do is informed by like what we saw there and what we liked and what we didn't about how things operated there. So that's our context too. and. That they were very different in that they did not manufacture in-house like we do. So some of it is from learned experience of like, what, what did they do? And some of it is, I've never worked at a, a company that made units in-house before like this. Like, I've never done that. So this is a, a lot of this is just brand new of like what we found to be the meta from personal experience and not prior experience, like trying things out. So yeah, it depends. That's just the context of where we're coming from on like what we've decided works well here. but. You might find something works better for you. Yeah. And for those making open hardware with a CM, it's a little different. 
Yeah. You, you might find that your supplier or your CM manages this stuff and you right. get to throw it over the wall. <laughs> True. You'll probably help with the high value critical to quality components. Um, you'll help them in purchasing them, but you can also make a lot of this their problem. If you're in the situation where you need a CM or you have one, you could make them deal with this. Right. Like, I, I don't think anyone at Formlabs was dealt with like sourcing screws. The CM will handle a lot of that kind of stuff for you. But like you said, the more critical stuff. And this was much more. I did a lot of like validating a second source part at Formlabs of like, hey, we want to get this in. Is this going to work the same equivalent to what we already have? But I'm, I bet you did quite a bit more of working with the CM on this because you were actually on the manufacturing team. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We didn't give it a rat. I'm not going to say that word. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we. <laughs> this is a Minecraft. Or what is what's this? The is a Christian Minecraft. This is a server. Christian Minecraft server. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Mitchell's gonna clip that for sure. <laughs> for example, like we didn't care where the screws come from, like you said, but uh, the linear motion, we told them where to buy. We practically bought that for the CM. Right. <laughs> yeah. 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 But there's no CM for us. But it's worth expressing like what that might look like if you're in that situation. Totally. Yeah, 100%. Because what you're doing now is you're not spending money on the CM. You're, or you're not spending money on the parts. You're spending money on a CM contract saying, hey, I need you to be able to make 50,000 of these a year for me. And that's a very different cost. Now, like we are so lean with our expenses. Cash flow is like so chill for us because we sell machines, we turn around and we buy more machines with it in the whatever quantity our capital affords us. But for a CM, you have to have like, Many hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars on a contract. I was thinking 50,000 units, but like tons of money to even start. Let's take like a desktop speaker. You're, you're paying for that factory to make the injection molds, buy the initial stock, have their production engineering team build all the jigs and fixtures and pogo test jigs that you might need. You're paying probably a deposit on securing the labor. You'll eventually segue into paying per finished good, but like it takes a lot of capital to prime the pump, so to say. Totally. Yeah. So like a lot of this kind of only applies to people doing their own manufacturing. Like some of it probably is also like how much to spend money on. Like, I don't know if Form Labs or like other companies that use the CM thought much about like how much if they were buying a linear rail, were they actually buying it? Were they just telling the CM how much to buy? Like, I know you can buy stock and send it to the CM for usage. So some of it might apply, but like this is heavily focused on like what if you're doing manufacturing in-house, you're building yeah. your own thing. At the CM, you might be considering like they might charge you per square foot on warehouse storage fees at their facility. Right. <laughs> like yeah. they, might, they might charge you based on how many finished goods you have sitting awaiting a sea shipment. Mm -hmm. Like maybe you have to pay 100 bucks per unit per month to store it for it to ship out VSC. Right. Not that crazy number actually, but yeah. it's always just a balancing act. Your situation may vary, but these types of considerations are going to be there. Yep, for sure. So we've talked about how to buy. We've talked about how to talk. Uh, and then now it's like how to pay. Yes. <laughs> and there's a lot to that. Yeah. Um, so ultimately, you have an invoice. You've selected the line items on that invoice you wanted. Mm -hmm. You've given feedback on it. You've gotten verbal confirmation that what you're asking for is okay, maybe with or without your changes being met. And you know plus or minus 5% how much it's going to cost. Yeah. And then you have the PO. And I should define it before getting further into it. Purchase order is a legal document form used by a buyer and sent to a supplier for an order. A purchase order specifies items, quantities, prices, credit terms. We'll get into that. For a purchase from a vendor, it's a legally binding contract when a vendor accepts the purchase order. So this is like in the books, we're doing this. Not a verbal confirmation, not a Alibaba message. This is like 
we're this is happening <laughs> yeah it's a legal contract yeah, yeah like there's international business case law around purchase orders oh cool okay yeah like it's not just a a napkin agreement it's, right it's binding it's a binding contract sure and when they accept it that's it yeah sometimes you'll find that you have to get a returned signed copy from the vendor acknowledging it mm-hmm. that's pretty standard here but the po is the only thing that matters okay all prior discussion can get erased every invoice you'd seen doesn't matter right. it's all about what that po said right and the PO is going to touch on a couple different topics that hopefully you'd pre-negotiated and there should, there should be no surprises because you, the purchaser, is the one that writes this. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So you, you, you write so many POs. Yeah. <laughs> we have a couple hundred out now. Cool. Yeah. That's pretty rad. It's not bad. Yeah. I should probably just take it line by line. Yep. Now that we've defined what a PO or purchase order is, we can talk about like the other criteria that it needs to touch on. So there's payment terms and that's like... Do you, how do you pay them? When do you pay them? Is it cash in advance? Are you paying 100% of the bill before anything is done at that vendor? Are you paying net 30? I use you're paying within 30 days of receiving everything. There's another form where it's 50-50, where you pay 50% upfront, and then 50% is paid either upon goods being ready to ship or upon goods being received or within seven days of goods being received. It there's a lot of different strategies here. Do you, it, do you ever like really try and force one? Like if you really need to keep cash flow, to keep cash in hand until you have an opportunity to sell the thing that you've purchased, that 30 is nice. And I think we kind of started shifting into net 30 because it's kind of a standard thing. But like we also didn't really do it for a long time. Is that fair to say? To get net 30 terms, it usually actually involves a credit application. Right. Yeah, that's true. Like if we don't pay net 30, we can be sent to collections. Yep. The business needs to have assets worth something yep <laughs> yep yep to be considerable for that like mm-hmm. in the credit applications you have to list vendors you do business with and say what terms you're on with them right and they they're allowed to contact them and ask if you're a good payer sure i typically try to get it if and when possible mm-hmm. and it's it's handy we could afford to not it'd be fine for our circumstances mm-hmm. but uh it's generally always better to defer payment if you can especially if you have your money in some type of investment vehicle like if you're doing something that accrues some percentage interest the longer you have that money to do it, it's always better to defer your payment. Just like it's always better to defer taxing. Yeah. You know? At the same time, I don't want to have to remember to pay a vendor 30 days after getting a box. Right. So I have to put things in place for myself to be held accountable. So like typically in our payment processing tool, I will put the bill in and coordinate it to be paid in 30 days. Yeah. Like immediately. Or I'm going to forget. <laughs> and I... I can't tank Opulo's credit because I forgot to pay a bill. Exactly. As soon as that <laughs> stuff comes in, it goes into a system that makes sure to catch that stuff. For sure. Yep. And that's handy. Yeah. Our payment processor is neat because we can make any bill at 30 if we feel like it. It just has a fee attached to it. Oh, like they pay on our behalf immediately and then we pay 30 days later, but with some interest. Yeah. That's cool. It's like a 30 day loan on a bill. Yeah. It's like 4%. that's egregious but if you need it it's like that's some breathing room for sure wow that's cool i didn't know that we we had that in there we use ramp for anyone listening yeah it's it's great referral link in the description (laughs) (laughs) if you want to click on the affiliate link for my beauty skincare routine get ready with me (laughs) link in the description yeah so i said net 30 i said cash in advance those other types look them up select from a list see if the vendor finds it acceptable also see what they have to say sometimes this is not negotiable. Mm-hmm. We have many vendors where we still pay cash up front. Yeah. Cash in advance. And I'm not going to make a fight out of something they're not going to budge on. Yep. Or or sometimes we'll even pay like half 
before work starts and the other half upon them shipping or something like that. Exactly. That 50, 50. Yep. Yeah, yeah. You'll typically yep. see it written at 50, 50 TT. I don't know what the TT stands for, but that's what it means. Yeah. <laughs> I think the TT stands for wire transfer. Oh yeah. 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 So that's the payment terms. And mm-hmm. then delivery terms need to be touched on here too. Yep. You'll see a couple different ones. And these are like, it's a way of defining the responsibility to get an item from one place to another and how that responsibility, as if it was a baton, transfers from seller to receiver. Right. Like where, where is the transfer of ownership of like, I did my part. Now it's your job to get it the rest of the way. Exactly. Yeah. And it's, it's fascinating. There's 20 different ones. Opulo here only thinks about three of them that I can speak towards. There's X work, which is the vendor has your stuff at their door and they say, come get it. (laughs) (laughs) Typically, our vendor is in Asia, so that's rather hard. Yep. It might be conducive to you have a shipping agency that picks up stuff from neighboring factories to palletize it for you or to fill a container for you. Yep. It's a handy one if you want to see the price of something without the shipping, without like their handling fee. It's a good thing to know. But at least for us here in America, getting stuff like air freight half the time, it, it's kind of an irrelevant number. Yeah. Then there's DAP, delivered at place, which is it's their responsibility to get it to your door. But customs is your responsibility. I'm sure I'm fudging it a little bit, but that's roughly it. They're responsible for it getting delivered, but it's your job to pay any bills that come up in the transit. Because of like duties and that kind of stuff. Yeah, duties, countervailing duties, anti-dumping, anti-dumping yep. all that fun stuff. Yeah. Um, if you're in a different country than the USA, I'm sure it looks a little different. Mm-hmm. But rough, everyone has customs, unless you're in a free trade agreement zone, yep. something like that. Yep. And then DDP, which is kind of like the gold standard for white glove treatment, delivery, duties, paid. So that's the vendor does everything. They're even responsible for the guy that brings it into your front door. Yep. Technically. And they've paid for the duties to get it in through the front door as well. Yeah. Yeah. So I prefer the DDP or DAP. Sometimes a vendor is charging too much for the responsibility of handling everything. Yep. Sometimes it's like a no brainer to give them that responsibility. Yeah. They have means of getting things to your door that others may not. Right. Yeah. Or like they (laughs) they have like an insanely good rate with DHL or some shipping company because they export many millions of dollars worth of material a month so they have an insane rate and there is no world in which they well i mean this is more for like who's actually paying for the shipping cost which isn't one of these three because we kind of never consider that but the vendor knows how to ship stuff well the vendor always knows how to get stuff to your door really efficiently and like if they're charging a good fee for it it's kind of fine to have them just do ddp and like trust that they're going to own it and take something off of your plate yeah like Let's say our vendor is Samsung Industrial. Yeah. They mastered how to get something from anywhere <laughs> for the lowest amount possible. Yeah, exactly. Just, just let them do it. Let them do it. Let them do it. If, uh, if this is a vendor that's not used to sending things abroad, you're one of the first um, like English-speaking clients of theirs. Yeah. Maybe they're going to be bad at it. Mm-hmm. Or just not as cheap. Like maybe they don't have a good rate or like it's confusing. They don't have a clean process or something like that. Yeah. yeah. And sometimes that's worth putting up with for the price. Yep. But yeah. Mm-hmm. It depends. Yeah, yeah, it depends. <laughs> so that's delivery terms and then delivery timelines. So like we mentioned earlier, when setting up expectations, you need to have the delivery due date in your PO. Yeah. If you don't have this, you have no accountability. Yeah, that's <laughs> <laughs> true. And this is the day that it arrives at your door, like the day that it arrives at your facility, not the day they ship it. Not the day they put it in there, but the day it shows up, right? That's how we play it. But it's up to you to say that. Because that's what we care about. Yeah. And and if it's DDP, if it's truly DDP, and their their responsibility is like, 
delivery duties paid, they're handling all of getting it to us. It's within the scope, you know, like if, if we had different delivery terms where like when it's in international waters, we hand off the baton, then the day that it arrives at our door is not their responsibility. But if it's DDP, <laughs> that's what we're expecting is that it's going to arrive at our door because that's where the baton is handed off when it's literally already in our hands. Yeah, you got it. Exactly. And towards that, like list the working time and mm-hmm. the, the, the shipping transit time that you're expecting if needed. You can be as pedantic here as you need to be to have the assurance. And also, it's a matter of how much you trust this vendor, how repeatable are they. Ultimately, if you don't have the box you need, you don't have the box you need. So, like, <laughs> what you put here doesn't matter. You have Make sure you're using a vendor you trust, because if you don't have it in hand, that's your problem, not really theirs. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yep. <laughs> and then towards that, also list the shipping lane. That's to say, like, what shipping route is something to take. Mm-hmm. Say you have a preferred shipping lane. Yeah. You want air freight via DHL. Yep. Say that. Yep. You were probably quoted for your preferred shipping lane anyway. Yep. So your PO should say who's shipping it and how. Mm-hmm. Like, let's say let's say uh, you really don't like a shipping vendor or like, you know, that they they always drop it off at a different place down the street or like, who knows what it is? Like, yeah. you don't like the fact that they don't track the thing as well and you can't see the granularity. You get to specify that, too. Exactly. Yeah. And in specifying it, it gives you leverage if they send it a cheaper way that's supposed to be the same in their eyes you can yell at them when something goes wrong Mm -hmm. yep (laughs) if you don't specify what you want you don't get to be mad about it yep yep but if you send a po and they sign it that's the agreement they don't have to sign it and then finally here we have like the money payment method right the vendor will accept money in a multitude of different ways if you're paying on alibaba you have the choice of paying by credit card you have the choice of paying by alipay you have the choice of paying by wire transfer and if you're not on alibaba you have all those same options, except you don't have Alibaba Pay. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> Vendors kind of prefer wire transfer. Yeah. I think payment processors like Alibaba have a fee. Yeah. So you can go off platform and do wire transfer if you prefer. Mm-hmm. It's really up to you. We, uh, wire transfers take a couple of days to get there. So I typically show the vendor a screenshot of the transaction being placed on my end. Thankfully, they're pretty trusting and yeah. they begin work within hours of receiving that screenshot even if it takes a few more days to get the payment money to go through but but pay attention and see if your vendor is a stickler and they want to see the money in their bank account before they begin work sure if that's the type of game you're playing with a vendor then maybe pay credit card for that first 50 percent and you'll pay 50 bucks per thousand on that fee but you're getting them to start work days sooner and that's that's worth it yep yep it can be i'd pay 50 bucks per day to reduce the lead time most times yeah (laughs) yeah yeah for sure and wires are, if you have a domestic vendor, you can send like an ACH wire transfer. Uh, but if it's an international, which is pretty likely that you'll have some international vendors, you have to send a swift wire transfer. Yeah. Do you want to describe that? You're definitely going to correct me on some of this. I'm sure I'll be incorrect. <laughs> but ACH is like a domestic American wire transfer between bank accounts. Swift is for international. Um, and they're a little bit more involved. You have to give a little bit more information and stuff. Uh, I think they do they take longer? They probably take longer than an ACH wire, right? It depends on if you want to pay a transaction fee for expedite or not. Okay. And it took us like you can either do a uh whatever bank you use, they have some information. Like sometimes they have a portal for like doing a swift wire transfer. Our bank actually didn't let us do it without going into the branch to do a <laughs> wire, which was wild. So then we paid for this service that they have where we can do it online, which is imperative and like easy money to spend. So you don't have to drive to the bank every time you want to oh, send. Yeah. That's just silly. And then also there's payment processors that will also do it. I don't know if does Ramp do 
Swift? Yeah. Does it really? Yeah. Oh, that's so great. that's probably where we do most of our... Everything. Okay. Except so like, I'm being lazy. That makes it really, really easy then, because it's kind of a pain to use. Like, if you, if you try and use a bank's interface website, they're not usually the best. <laughs> yeah, we put up with it for a year and a half before yeah. getting, like, a nice tool. Yeah. And it sucked. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of crappy. Yeah, it took, like, two... It was like launching a nuclear weapon. Like, it took two keys. Like, Steve and I had to share each other's, like, login accounts just to, like, authorize anything. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a nightmare. But now it's so much easier to do it through a payment processor. So if you can get a payment processor to do it, Ramp is great. You can spin up credit cards with it and, like, you can send wires and, like, put in uh, invoices or POs and stuff, like, with net 30 terms. It's good to have a place to manage all that stuff. And it's going to be a better tool than whatever your bank has. For sure. So you've sent them the money. They've gotten it. Work begins. Congrats. You've bought stock. <laughs> you think it's over? No, not really. <laughs> <laughs> the post receival let's just jump to you got it yeah. you paid customs if they emailed you for that and you paid dap yeah it's all that yeah post receival you need to confirm the goods as soon as you can and then you need to communicate if there's any issues mm-hmm. immediately yep a vendor will tell you to pound sand if you communicate issues about something you got nine months ago right <laughs> as they should <laughs> yeah your, your time to bring that up has come and gone act like you have 30 days you might have more but like if something's messed up, you need to let them know. Yeah, you usually do it within the hour of receiving something. You'll be like, this is messed up. Yeah. And then you draft an email. For sure. When yeah. It doesn't happen that often, though. Not really. No. Sometimes you might not know about an issue until you've worked through all of the stock. Like, we have a vendor that was giving us a component that had like a 10% fallout rate for quality. Yeah. I'm going to bring that up at the time of repurchasing because I, I send them a photo of a bucket of them in the bad bin. Yeah. If something's egregious and apparent, immediately bring it up. Yep. Because if you paid to Valley Baba, you have an amount of time to appeal the order, get some money back. Like mm. for the vendor, their money is in like a escrow. Yeah, escrow. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And you have rights. <laughs> yeah. So don't wait on them. Right. The longer you wait to exercise your rights as a buyer, the harder it is. Yep. And you bought that stuff expecting it will be good. Yeah. You should be able to get that stuff and, and have it work well. That's the re- relationship that you're building. You know, like you're also setting tone of like, I'm expecting that the quality should be high for the stuff that we buy from you. It's expectation setting and it's like you're setting precedent yeah. for your relationship. It's also helpful if you haven't paid them for like 50% yet or if you're on net 30, you don't have to pay before the quality is what you expected. Right. If they didn't do what they said, if they didn't send you 5,000 units, they sent you 4,000 units and a thousand pieces of, you know, non-working object. <laughs> they didn't fulfill the PO. Yeah. Yeah. Then you pay them for... 80% of it. Exactly. Yep. And you offer to let them pay the shipping cost of getting 20% back. So just realize when you have leverage, when you have power, mm-hmm. and hold tight of it. Yep. Because <laughs> hardware is hard to make money on. That's why they call it hardware. <laughs> That's why they call it hardware. And like sourcing this stuff and making sure that you don't get nailed on a vendor thing is like the difference between making money and not if it happens enough. You never want to have to send like an apology email to customers letting them with like a quality issue. Like yeah. it's... It's our job here in making sure that never goes out. Yep. It's our job in making sure they're never alerted of stock out or like a lost package. Yep. You just have to plan. Mm-hmm. You got to <laughs> plan for it. Another thing I wanted to touch on was like the big boy version of the purchase order. It mm-hmm. kind of didn't fit into the, the flow here, but it's worth mentioning. Mm-hmm. Maybe you want to discuss buying a lot of something, but you can't afford it. Right. Maybe you know you're going to be needing it for the foreseeable, inevitable future. Mm-hmm. There's something called a planned purchase order where you can pay for something with a recurring delivery rate. 
So maybe we're talking about cameras here. Mm -hmm. Opulo knows we might need 10 million of these cameras, but no one can afford 10 million of them. (laughs) We might say, hey, these numbers are fake again. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) We will pay for 10,000 of them at a time, delivered every six months. They have in their books this recurring revenue they can take to the bank. They can use it to get loans to secure the stuff on their end to buy as many cameras as we're asking for over a given recurring period of time. Mm -hmm. And we also have some assurance that there will be 10,000 cameras available for us to buy every six months. Exactly. It's also like supply chain security as well. For sure. Yeah. What you'll typically see, there's no typical here actually, but what I've seen so far when we play this game is you're paying some two-digit percentage of the order up front, maybe 20 to 40%, mm-hmm. and then you pay for the pieces as they're delivered. Okay. So it can be a big number. So does that mean that the first 40% of the units they ship to you without you having to pay, and then when you hit to that 50th percent, then you start paying the amortized price? No, 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 no. Okay. Imagine like we're paying the 20% the value of 10 million units, uh-huh. and then that's like a deposit to secure this blanket PO. Sure. And then we pay for 10K units at a time as they're delivered. Okay. But it would be still less than the actual price of 10K because we've already paid 20%. So it's probably just like a discounted rate. We pay 80% the price of that 10,000. Okay. It's all going to come up in the contract. Sure. You'll see how that money gets amortized, but there is usually a deposit involved here. I see. As they come through, you pay. Yeah. Yeah. But it also lets you be buying these units at a rate that's way higher quantity than you would have possibly have afforded otherwise. Yeah. So do you get the price break of the highest volume of the total order? Yeah. I see. Okay. I wasn't sure if maybe they wouldn't be amicable to that because you're doing it distributed, but it's kind of like you're quote unquote buying that many. I mean, if you sign a PO like that, that's a legally binding document saying that you're going to buy all those things. So like, I guess it does make sense you get that price break. It's also the way of the vendor giving you a price break for a quantity they can't make within a regular period of time. That's true. Like if I ask this camera vendor for 10 million units up front, they can't make that within... Within six months. Within their standard working time. Right. So if they want to give me a price break... A super good one. Yeah. They're going to quote it within the delivery window that actually matters. Right. Which is kind of the cool part about this. I don't actually need 500 staging plates the moment they all arrive. Right. I need... (laughs) 10 a week or something. Yeah, yeah. So a blanket PO is actually talking about things pragmatically and how they're needed and when they're needed by. Yep. And that's kind of handy. Yeah. Um, you have to be at a certain volume for it to be worth anyone discussing this. Sure. Uh, companies might even have a lawyer look over this. It's a more serious contract. It's, sure. uh, it's not a game. Yeah. They look at this as a huge liability. What happens if the purchaser goes out of business or they want to cancel it or... Yep. They want to up-rev a component in the middle of a blanket purchase order agreement. Like <laughs> exactly. Any of these things. Spooky. You, you have to be very mature about asking for this and know it's what you want. Yeah. I, I don't think we've we've never done this, right? I've gotten it as a quote. Yeah. Exactly for cameras, but yeah. <laughs> it's not worth it. Yeah. It's it's tight. <laughs> it's, it, it's a huge... It's almost like signing a lease. Yeah. You have an upfront deposit and then you're promising you're going to pay X amount of money indefinitely. And like it's locking you into having to do something. And if you're starting a hardware company, you kind of want the flexibility. (laughs) Yeah. And I've seen these contracts have like a term for voiding it. Like there's a penalty. Yeah. Um, Because you do need a way out. Yeah. It's business. Some shit changes. Yep. But it's an anchor around your leg and you you might not want that. Maybe you want the security. The vendor is... Legally required to fulfill this item per month for an amount of time. Yeah. It's a great way to like pay for something on subscription. Yeah. <laughs> like if you're Toyota and you need the microcontroller for the Dash computer, you know, like that's that's kind of where I imagine this kind of PO happening. Like a silicon manufacturer signs this as the vendor for a multi-billion dollar car company. Exactly. Because like they there cannot be a world in which they do not have these chips. But if you're like 
a fledgling hardware startup, <laughs> it's probably not the best move for you to be, you know, focusing on that. Yeah, and it's great you bring up automotive. And those, in, in many markets, automotive uh, manufacturers are legally required to provide 20 years worth of replacement parts for any car they sell right. in the country. Yep. So any supplier is required to provide parts for up to 20 years. And that blanket PO probably exists for that part. And yep. it probably has a tapering rate. Sure. It's 1 million units spread out. 50% within the first five years, and the rest tapering down to zero. Sure. All that type of stuff. It's all comes down to the, the, the legalese. <laughs> yeah. But that's the big boy stuff. It's not likely, like, we probably won't sign one of those for many years. Probably not. Yeah. I could see, it might, it'd be kind of cheeky of us to ask for that with our PCB vendor if it was, like, not talking about a particular circuit board, but it was saying, hey, we'll pay this price per square millimeter of circuit board over time. Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's an interesting idea. Yeah. I, I don't know if they'd be amicable to that because they still have like to amortize the setup costs. We might like totally. Th- there's a world where someone could abuse that by like giving them 47 different designs. <laughs> yeah. And there's all the setup costs for all the different boards. But like there might be something like that where it's like something we know definitively we will be pretty buying. assuredly the first time it's going to make its way into relevancy is with packaging. Right. Yep. Cause but, that's stuff that takes up so much volume and you want it spread out. If you have all that stuff in house, it just takes up so much square footage. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's way preferable to have the vendor drop off 50 lumen boxes a month mm. rather than us hold 500 of them. Right. We don't have space for it. Yeah. 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 And they don't want to make 500 and have them all delivered in one day. It's annoying for them. Yep. They'd rather spread it out. Yep. So, yeah, be aware of planned purchase orders. It's a tool in the tool belt, like all this other stuff. Yep. <laughs> yep, totally. The complete opposite of just buying it on Amazon. <laughs> it really is. Actually, they had to have subscribe and save. <laughs> <laughs> that is so cursed. Like how we buy like office snacks like goldfish. <laughs> Do the same thing with like, can you buy an STM32 on Amazon? That is the most cursed sentence I've ever said in my life. You can get the dev board with a breakout PCD if you like desoldering. That's some desperate we we looked at that in the middle of the chip crisis we really the did dev boards were cheaper than like the lcsc price for like a day yeah yeah <laughs> yeah and was, they were more obtainable they were way more obtainable sad it's so weird buying stuff is so weird <laughs> <laughs> sometimes it doesn't make sense sometimes it makes a lot of sense sometimes the the options in front of you choose themselves yep it's just a, a tricky stitch and it's your job to be thoughtful about it yep Yep. Make sure you're not spending, having all kinds of money tied up in inventory. Yeah. We think of money as the gas in our car and the money we use has to get us where we want to go. Mm. Ultimately, like we buy the amount we need to get where we want to go. Yep. Yeah. A, a lot of the quantities will kind of become self-evident after a while when you don't know how much you're selling it becomes a lot harder, but you toss some, some of this stuff in a spreadsheet, you start to see where it makes sense. Like if I have the money for it and I feel this confident about it, can I hit this price break? And if you can, you save more money per unit and the bigger you get, the more quantity you buy, the more you save per unit. Like it's just about growing in that way. So you, you save more money in your bomb cost per machine that you sell. And, you know, it just takes time to grow to that point. And, but eventually you get there and you start buying much, much larger quantities, a lot more than a hundred piece purchase now. <laughs> and then you, off you go. Yeah. I remember the first time I sent a payment that could have gotten like a new Toyota. <laughs> my hands were shaking I, yeah i remember <laughs> dude, there were some some nights where like you'd i'd be asleep and you're up talking to vendors at like 2 or 3 a.m and you're like hey just so you know there'll be like <laughs> tens of thousands of dollars missing from the bank account when you wake up yeah we didn't get robbed man we, just we didn't get stuff. robbed we just bought inventory and like don't freak out about it and yeah checking the bank account the next day and like that much money missing <laughs> is like it's weird 
But like that's sometimes that's what you have to do. That's how it goes, which is nice to spread it out. But it is nice to spread it out. Yeah. As much as you can have that not be a huge financial hit to your books, the better. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy stuff. I hope y'all learned something. <laughs> I love to see the questions you got. Every single sentence here could have been elaborated on for an hour. Yeah. People get PhDs in this topic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. And we, we got the YouTube University plus. Well, that's not fair to say to you because you spent a ton of time researching this and you also had a lot of exposure to this. And yeah. previous jobs too. And I've worked with some really smart supply chain engineers and friends. multiple different hardware companies. Atish, Joel, Nikki, some people from Foreign Labs were awesome mentors on this stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They know their stuff. <laughs> they know their stuff. For sure. All right, folks, that is it for this one. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts on Google Podcasts or uh, Apple, uh, whatever the hell it's called. Don't forget to leave us a review wherever you get your podcast. It helps us out a ton for people finding this podcast, listening to it, and getting it spread out to more people. You can find Opulo on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And also, don't forget to check out Opulo.io and sign up for our newsletter, where we write blog posts and do customer interviews with other folks building open hardware. And we'll see you in the next one. Thanks, guys. See ya. Maybe you hate FedEx. You probably hate FedEx. <laughs> we'll cut we'll cut that out. <laughs> as much as it's true. Leave it. <laughs>